whole lot of kids in some sort of diapers for a long while. She taught us probably, she was probably prolific in, in potty training because I would think you would want to do that if you had to pin those uh, diapers on and do all that stuff for that long. So, you know, just that one little memory of my mama tells you that when I look at her now and, and there's some difficult things every here and there about mama, but boy, they give way to the grace that God gave her to, to be a mama to all of us uh, as kids. And, you know, grief in my heart as a son is that I don't think, uh, I don't think that there's, a, there's about six of the kids who don't really honor mama. And uh, that pains me. Um, but but we, have, we have shared pains in, in some ways, but yet they haven't had the touch of God in their heart to allow them to forgive mama and to be able to see the good things that happened. So that's what I want you to do is somewhere along the way, I'd like to get some testimonies. I'd like you to be able to declare uh, publicly some good things about mama. I feel like that's a great honoring thing. So either your own memory about holding your little ones, um, you know, or if it was something that your mama, how she might have touched your life. So good. That's a setup. Um, Let's go ahead and do that first one, uh, the clip, if we're ready for the uh, short one. Some of the things that Mama is has been. everything that she is. So let's have you find 1 Samuel in the Old Testament especially. 1 Samuel. And then I'd like you to find, um, well, the one is in your bulletin. So locate a bulletin and you can read along with me for that one. And though it's a pretty big story, it it reads rather well and reads rather uh, easy in 1 Samuel. And then the, there's only a few notes that I'm going to uh, take out of First Peter. So if we do all that right, um, we'll, we'll be good. I wanted to call your attention to um, this brochure for the uh, final push rally for the heartbeat bill. There are uh, more things than that to be said. But, you know, in this case, um, I have an obligation and a responsibility to you. And that is, is that a church has to be very careful um, almost neutral, if that's a good word for it, um, when, with regard to political kinds of statements and things. So this one is a little bit of concern for me, but I like it because it kind of slams. It slams one side more than the other, um, and that's okay because sometimes we need to be sure that there's good balance. In this case, the back of your brochure calls attention to Republicans have the power to end most Ohio abortions. But so far, they have not, meaning they're dragging their feet. So for whatever reason, they're dragging their feet. There might be a good reason. But you, each one of us has to do something when it comes down to politics. You have to have a, the basis of your politics has to be God first, which means the morality of the Bible. So versus any kinds of parties, besides not voting at all, that's not really a good option for us um, because that's almost like you have this responsibility that we just don't do anything with. So you may feel like you're throwing your vote away. That doesn't matter. It's, it's important for you to align yourself with a, a person who represents to the best of our ability 
who represents godly values and principles that we as Christians ascribe to. So, with that being said, I'm neither Republican nor Democrat nor Independent. I've declared my political affiliation years ago, and that's called dependent. I'm dependent upon the Lord Jesus Christ and upon the God of heaven who makes uh, all truth, who is absolute truth, who has given us the word which is only the only infallible word of God. He's given us to us to live by. So that's what I ascribe to. If every now and then you hear me and I sound like I'm this slant or that slant or another slant, it's just because I'm weird and still mixed up. Amen? So here's the, here's the deal. Pray about that. Pray about... I, I pray that there would be a return to the type of morality that, that the, the, the need for abortion would cease simply because, you know, everything would be perfect. So I guess in... Uh, what's that little town? Uh, what was that little... Uh, that place, not Nirvana. There was that other place. Shangri-La. There's another place of perfection outside of heaven. Yeah, Utopia. You ever heard of Utopia? It's kind of the place where ideally everything just... And I'm, I'm that kind of an optimist. I, I want it to be like that. Uh, but the reality is, it ain't going to happen on this earth. It ain't going to happen. The best we can do is for us to... Embrace those things which God gives us and follow with everything we got, follow after it. So that means guys and gals, not married, don't give yourselves away. Don't do it based on a ring or do it some other reason. Do it because it's the right thing to do. Do it because it really is responsible. Do it because when that day comes and you get to, to say, Here, here's my bride, on your wedding night, that'll be truly something fabulous and special that you've never embarked on before. That's the reasons why you would want to do it for the purity of the moment, for, for the, that, the, the rareness of it. How about being that way, to be set apart like that? So um, that's my, my plea. That's the way to fix it. I remember one, uh, one governor says, you can't legis- legislate against stupidity. See? You, can't, you can't make everybody be smarter than what they are or the decisions or choices they'll make. What we want to do is, is we want to grow up as Christians we want to grow up into the capacity where our decisions are made is that we, we live and we decide that we're going to honor God, that we serve God, and that our choices are a reflection of our inner conviction and belief system. Amen? I'm just going to wait till everybody says amen. <laughs> I'm just looking at a, uh, a prayer request real quick here. We'll pray for that. Um, let, let's look in your bulletin. I want you to see 1 Corinthians 7 because there's this woman, Abigail, of the Old Testament, um, and it's, a, it's an amazing story about the nurture of a woman. And I want to tell you about that because uh, the other day, here yesterday, we went to get in the van and there was this uh, big white bag from uh, Respects or from Village Inn or whatever it's called nowadays down here. And uh, it was my prescriptions. And it was kind of cool because I'd called them in and I needed them. I was going to be out of my part of my meds on Saturday. So I needed them before uh, they, they closed. And then I got busy and got distracted. So when I opened the, the van door and saw that they were there, it blessed my heart. And so I said to Arlene, I said, obviously she picked them up. But uh, how did she know they were there? And she said, well, she called to make sure because she knew I had two empty pill bottles that that I need that medicine. And so um, she called. And then she found out that, yes, I'd called them in. um, And then she went and picked them up. She never said, do you want me to? She just handled it. Do you know how good that is? Do you know how good that is as as a husband that I don't have to plead with her. I don't have to beg her. I don't have to rule over her. I don't have to. She just did that on her own, that she saw the need. That's part of the nurture of a woman. Do you know that? Let me tell you, every woman in the room, there's something that you have that God gave you that is is something special to humanity, if not just to a man. It's, it's special to your, your children. It's special to the family. It's special to employers. It's special it's something that women have the ability to nurture that guys, sorry, most of us, most largely 
don't have. Now, I think I'm a nurturer to, to some degree, but guess what? I don't hold a candle to Arlene, you see? Why is that? Because God made us that way. There's certain other aspects that she can't compete with Superman. See what I mean? <laughs> now, that's the title she's given me. I just walk in it, you know? <laughs> so, here's the deal. I think we've got like this perfect relationship going on that we've come to through all the years and the battles, and she carries much woundedness in her heart and on her person. Uh, she's been the, the, I don't know if you want to say benefactor, but she's been the benefactor of a lot of things that I put her through. And if she wasn't so amazing, if God didn't make women like this, folks, you couldn't do it. And the stories that I know about, about you ladies in this room, what I do know makes you one of those, you're an amazing uh, blessing from God. So today I want to unravel this a little bit. I'm just going to ask you, you by being in First Samuel, there'll be keys, key, key scriptures on the wall, but not all of them because there's, there's too many that I want to read through. Let's start, though. It sets up in 1 Corinthians, and you can actually read it right along in your bulletin. It's 1 Corinthians 7. It's uh, verses 12 through 16. And Paul makes some of the most difficult statements in the Bible And one of the reasons why is the very first verse in verse 12. This makes it one of the most difficult statements in especially New Testament. That's because we believe the Word of God to be God-breathed, that He breathed it. He influenced men's writing. They wrote with their own personality. So when you hear the book of James or you read John or you read Matthew, so we're reading then that he spoke through these men, gave them the divine words to record or to write down. And so uh, it's important that we've got the personality, and that's what makes the Bible so unique and distinct, is that the personality of the author comes through. Where they got that thought and word came from God himself. And so that's uh, that's what we believe, because we believe that the Bible is the authoritative, only inspired, absolutely infallible, word that God has given to humankind. So with that, verse 12 says this, but to the rest, you have to read verses 1 through 11 to get to there, but to the rest I say, not the Lord, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he must not divorce her. And a woman who has an unbelieving husband and he consents to live with her, she must not send her husband away. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. For otherwise, your children are unclean, but now they are holy. Yet, if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. The brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? Now, we all could confess right off the bat, you don't actually save. Jesus saves. But what do they mean by the word there that says that you might save your husband? Well, as we get into another narrative, we're going to see that word amplified into a greater meaning for us so that the bottom line is you'll come away with it saying, I understand better my role as a woman. You'll understand, guys, the role that your mother played and, and plays. My mama said, until she dies, she's my mama. <laughs> and, and, and then also how our parents, what it means is for your mama, the role she's going to continue to play, the way that we can honor each other in proper relationship because of the lessons that we're going to see today. So the first thing out of that was, I'm calling it a woman in Scripture right here. And it's given kind of along those lines of divorce and remarriage and everything else. But, you know, one of the marks of this woman here, this gracious woman that is, is given to us, is it says that if uh, that believer or unbeliever, that wife in this case first, and she consents to live with them. One of the marks of, of a solid uh, scriptural woman is to be agreeable. See? Because guess what? When strife mounts up, what's it usually because of? We're in opposition with each other. And so one of the things here a tough lesson talks about is being agreeable. The next one says, is that uh, in the end, in verse 13, it says, if you're with an unbelieving husband and he consents to live with her, she must not send 
her husband away. That means there's a word called amiable. Ever heard that word, amiable? You know, it just means in general, um, it, it's a little like, I'm okay. You know, I'm, I'm, I don't have to rise up in one way or another. I'm uh, not quite agreement. It's a little different type of word. So uh, it says that she don't, don't, don't want to send him away. Don't go against, uh, against this principle that if he wants to stay, let him stay. Be amiable, if you will. And then the verse 14 comes out and says, why do you want to do that? Because the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife. And vice versa, the husband uh, or the wife through the husband. And then it says, otherwise your children are unclean, but now they are holy. So there's a big word thrown in there, this sanctification. Sanctify your husband, sanctify your wife. And what does that mean? Ultimately to make holy, to make holy. The process of sanctification is the work of the cross in our life. It's the path that we take when we choose to follow and walk in holiness, pursuit of holiness, that that's what we begin. We begin a process of sanctification. So God has sanctified us on the cross, but he sanctifies us as we yield to the Holy Spirit who leads us into all truth and leads us into righteous and right choices and decisions in our life. There's just no way to escape. It's not a poof, you're there. It's a process that, that we're on. So in this case, sanctified. So that is one who is actually practicing holiness. You can lead your family, husbands and wives, women, you can lead your family into holiness. And there's a couple ways that you'll do that, and we'll discover them before we're done today. Then the last one says, verse 15, I'm sorry, not the last one. If, if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. The brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. It's called the power of release. How many of us that, that we end up losing our joy because of what we behold and what we hold on to, and it eats us up inside, see? And it just, the more we mull over, the vain imaginations kick in, and then the speculation kicks in, and we start building a bigger case, and pretty soon we're ready to crucify somebody. So what happens is, is one of our counseling books talks about hot thoughts. And hot thoughts are something that we're, we're, we're going on here, and if we don't take those thoughts captive to the obedience of the grace of the cross, see, the obedience of Christ, those hot thoughts begin to infect our hearts. And pretty soon we're stirred up and we're riled against one another and we're building a case and you can just see it. Have you ever known when there's an issue that you can't hide it no matter how good you try to put on a, a, a good scene? What's the matter with you? I didn't say anything was wrong. Well, I'm, no, I didn't say you said anything was wrong. I just, I just see that something's wrong. Oh, so now I'm ugly. No, I didn't say you were ugly. Yeah, but you said, yeah, what's going on? These hot thoughts have been beating on me right here. And what's getting is they're getting the best of me. So in this case, the power of release is there's great freedom. You're not under bondage. See, give that thing away. Don't hold on to it and don't harbor it. And don't consider and don't try to build your own case. That's what, that's what it's really talking about. So here's why. Because if you'll do that, you won't be bitter. There won't be strife. There won't be angry outbursts. Do you know where I'm going? Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the world and the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, right? Self-control versus bitterness, envy, jealousy, strife, angry outbursts, you see? So the woman or the man or the person who walks in the Spirit will not give an opportunity to the flesh. So we always have to come back to that place of being able to say, hey, wait a minute, if, if I do this... If, if, if I will be at peace, I'm not going to be in bondage. So what I do is I recognize everybody has a choice. Even if you're married, you still have a choice. You have a choice if you're going to stay married or if you're going to get divorced. And, and folks, somebody has to step up to the plate and be the bigger person and recognize if you stay like back-to-back, arms folded like this, we ain't going nowhere except to divorce court. See? So being that way has to recognize, I'm not going to try because that's when divorce begins to happen is when one person tries to force the other into being like they want it to be. 
Tell me that's not true. I don't like it. Even if the excuses are, are, are valid, even if your reasons are valid. See? Uh, physical abuse. Who knows what, what kinds of stuff's going on. You could say that you're trying to get them to stop doing this criminal activity. Right? And guess what's going to happen if you don't take up arms and if you don't try to make that, that change come about in his life? Do you know the Bible says, back off. I'll take care of this. Isn't that what we're talking about in this scripture? Stop taking matters into your own hands and let me work. You do this. You follow me. I'll tell you, I'm going to give you the related scripture. It's in 1 Peter chapter 3. You guys know that. Oh, I hate that passage. That's where it says being submitted to the, to the men. Ugh. No, that's only part of what it says. It also tells the men what they're supposed to do. So in this case, let's go there real quick. If, if Well, wait a minute. Verse 16, before I leave there. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? How do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? So here's the, the summary of that. Walk in the Spirit and dwell on the fruit of the Spirit, and you will bear the fruit of the Spirit. Do you get it? Walk in the Spirit and dwell on the fruit of the Spirit, and you will bear the fruit of the Spirit. Whatever is good, whatever is right, whatever is... Do you get it? But what happens? We don't think of those things. We start looking at the flaws and we start seeing all the reasons why this person's a scumbag and why we need to, we can do better and we'd be better off without them. Wow. That's the reason that it comes in. That's why there's irreconcilable differences because somebody wasn't willing to say, okay, I surrender. Whoever that is, you need to step up to that plate and say, okay, I'll do whatever I've got to do. Does that mean change to be what they want you to be? No, it doesn't. It means change to be what God wants you to be. Wow. Oh, you make it sound like it's so easy. You'd never know. Oh, yes, I do. I put my wife through it. We're going to celebrate 30 years coming up in August. That's just being legal or honorable. So we've been together a long time. I I do know what I'm talking about. Because I've been the I've been the I've been the persecutor. I've been the I've been the victimizer. I've been the one who's been wrong most all the time. Now I'm only saying that because she's out of the room right now. <laughs> Let's go to First Peter. It is the truth. Pastor Joe, you sound like you were a slime bag. Yes, I was. In the same way, you wives, be submissive. Now, of course, it comes down and talks about in the same way. You wives, verse 1, be submissive to your own husbands. This is up on the wall, by the way. Be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, even if they're disobedient to the word, so you're a Christian, you found out they're really not. They just told you what they wanted you to believe so that you would marry them. Even if... They are disobedient to the word. They may be one without a word by the behavior of their wives. Now, it sounds mean, women. I'm not meaning to sound mean. But sometimes I grew up in a household where my mom was convinced she was going to talk my, my, my dad into holiness. That's not what this verse says. It says that your words are cheap compared to your actions. Oh, I'm praying conviction right now. I'm praying conviction because what's happening is, is we're getting to be louder. Our whole society is getting to be more vocal all the time. We need to come back to some sort of real, true humility and submission to what the Word of God says. Then we would, we would keep ourselves from being such fools. So here we go. Even if they're disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. That means that this woman of Scripture is showing her husband respect even if he doesn't deserve it. Do you get it? Oh, what you're asking me to do, Pastor. No, I'm telling you, many of you already do. It's just the areas, if you don't, those are the areas to shore up. Isn't that the way the tweaking goes? We're getting into the fine-tuning now for some of you. Your adornment 
verse 3, must not be merely external, braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, or putting on dresses, real short dresses, with no low necklines. Get it? But let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet Hush, little baby, don't you scream and yell and nag. God's on the throne and he's watching. He'll take care of your big guy. You'll just step out of my way. Huh? I just made that up. I know it was obvious. So, don't let it be that the hidden person of the heart, though, imperishable quality, gentle and quiet spirit, which is spirit, which is precious. Can you say precious? Say it like, uh, say it like, uh, yeah, Schmeagel. My precious. Which is precious in the sight of God. I know, I must have taken too many meds this morning. All right, so let's end with that, verse 4. And then let's jump down to verse 13 through 17 real quick. It says that this is the reason why. Why you would choose to do something when you're not getting any benefit from it. You're not seeing any fruit from it. How long do I have to put up with this guy? Why would you keep on? It says, who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? If you put on this respectful and chaste behavior, and if you do those things, which reveals the hidden person of the heart, if you'll just be quiet, but even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord, boss, in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Why are you staying with him? Yet with gentleness and reverence and keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. That's your friends who are saying, why don't you just leave him? Why don't you just get over it? Why don't, I don't know what you're staying with him for. How long? How many times is he going to have to do this to you? Do you understand what you're doing? That snively little thing is I'm trying to be very, very specific with that because that's what it is. It's a little digging. It's almost like a little demonette being released. Man, why don't you just do that? Wait, it's against the counsel of the word of God. So you who are so insidious on, on being like this godly person, okay, then let it infect every area from head to toe. Let it occupy the, 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 the strongest muscle in your body. Hello, what's that? Do you know that's your strongest muscle? Proportionately, that's it. For the size of it, that's your, that's your strongest muscle. Is that the truth or did I read something false? Okay, can you do that? Come on. I'll hide it. Boy, we know James talks about the power of the tongue, don't we? Yeah. What happened to them? He just got a tongue lashing. Yeah, he's bloodied, beat up. Is anything any better? Of course not. Why? Because we're, we're operating in the wrong spirit. So here's the thing. There's a, this scenario. Ready? Say go. Okay, anybody need to stand up? Ready for this one? First Samuel, you there? Joel's going to keep track of these for me because there's just too much. So he's going to help me here by keeping track. Let's pray. I wrote this prayer this morning early. Here's, here's, I wrote it down because I felt like, God, I don't want to miss this one, okay? So here it is. Ready? Wow us with your word, your ways, your heart, the mind of Christ, and fill us, fill our lives with the power of your Holy Spirit. You get that? Would you pray it with me? Wow us with your word your ways, your heart, the mind of Christ, and fill us and our lives with the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Wow, that's a prayer that God wants to answer. You know that? So let's go right off the bat into 25 verse 1. Then Samuel died. Oh, that's a great way to start Mother's Day. And all Israel gathered together and mourned for him and buried him at his house in Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. Now there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. And the man was very rich. And he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. And it came about while he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. And then there's this little parenthesis in most of your Bibles, which means it doesn't necessarily appear in all the oldest of manuscripts, but it's there for clarity. Now, the man's name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. And the woman was intelligent and beautiful in appearance, say, just like me. All the women should say that. But the man was harsh and evil in his dealings, and he was a Calebite. Now, it's kind of interesting. Let me tell you before I go on, I want to tell you about a Calebite, okay? Because a Calebite was very... Uh, it's almost like this person, Nabal, being, being ignorant, being, being a, a fool. Let's see what it said about him again. What did it say that he was? That he was... Yeah, that he was harsh and that he was evil. Um, Caleb, there was this rebellion. I was trying to find this. I didn't find it solid enough. But I'm just going to tell you, there was a mutiny against at Kadesh. And so anybody knows what mutiny means. It means going against whoever the leader was or the boss was. And so there was this mutiny. And Caleb was one of them who actually proved faithful in the process. He didn't, uh, uh, he didn't commit this. So let's say that Caleb then represents somebody who is faithful and he chose the right thing. Okay? Now, this is not necessarily the same Cable who comes from, from uh, I'm sorry, Caleb, who came from uh, uh, Caleb and Joshua back in, in that portion. This is a different Caleb, but, uh, but he's called a Calebite. So in the lineage of Caleb, you would think that this guy would bear that out. He would be faithful and he would be all the... And so that's part of the dynamic by that little declaration says that he didn't learn from his ancestors. That didn't carry on. That righteousness, faithfulness wasn't handed down to that next generation. He didn't get it, see? So he was a Calebite. So here he is. He's identified as being this, uh, this, this guy who is um, ultimately proving to be ignorant and, and evil and harsh. So that's verse 3. Verse 4, that David heard... So, so let's pick it up. One, it came about while he was shearing his sheep in Carmel that David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, visit Nabal, and greet him in my name. And thus you shall say, Have a long life. Peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. How many know that's called a blessing? Now, I have heard that you, uh, you have shearers. Now, your shepherds have been with us, and we have not insulted them, nor have they missed anything all the days that they were in Carmel. So, that's important, and so we don't miss it. Later on, I'm going to tell you this is amplified, okay? You haven't missed anything all the days they were in Carmel. Ask the young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we have come on a festive day. Please give whatever you find at hand to your servants and to your son, David. So, when David's young men came, verse 9, they spoke to Nabal according to all these words in David's name, and they waited. But Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants today who are each breaking away from his master. So let's, let's pause there, because one is you recognize the blessing. There's some certain things that David is saying that has happened, that though these shepherds were out and the shearers were out, because remember, he had 3,000 sheep. What's the byproduct of sheep? <laughs> That's a whole lot of shearing going on, see? So it says that here they are, the festive occasion, as a farmer is, is in the, the harvest season, is that, when, when the, the sheep get big afros, 
that, that's, that's celebration time. See, that's party time because that's, that's the revenue, if you will, from the, from the sheep. That's the harvest. So there's a, it's party time, and so that's part of what's going on here. So what David is asking is, is that we've given some level of protection to your shearers and to the shepherds who are watching over your flocks. We've given them some protection, and all I want you to do is, is take care of these young men. Give them whatever, whatever you've got, whatever is in your ability to do to bless them. That's what David's really asking for. So that's called reciprocal. It's important in our relationships is that we always ha- have some level of reciprocity, whatever that word is. That word, yeah, that word. How would you say it? Yeah, reciprocity. Say reciprocity with me. Reciprocity. Doesn't it make you happy? Reciprocity. Because it means it's not just to seek one way to get blessed, but that you're also blessing. See? Always keep that in mind. You need two-way relationships. That's why marriages fail. That's why relationships fail. They fail because we come to the place where we're not any longer give and take. We're only taking, see? Or we're only giving, and we get tired of either one of them. And that's justifiable. I understand that. Here's the deal. He takes on, that's called reciprocal. He's just looking for a little, hey, I wash your back, you wash mine. He says, ask your young men. So the harvest, in verse, and let me go back. In, in verse uh, 8 and, and 9, I want you to see something. He says in verse 8, he says, please give whatever you find at hand to your servants and to your son, David. He actually puts himself by the declaration of your son, David. David is not his son, Nabal's son. What is he doing? He is, belowing, he is lowering himself down into the posture of a servant, and he calls himself son for a very clear reason. He is humbling himself, even though he's been the one who has championed the shepherds and the shearers in the field. He is now finding himself in this place because he's asking, and he's asking not from a position of, you owe me. Do you see another principle of relationship? You don't come to people, you don't do things to get something, and you don't demand something, some form of payback, because you did something for them. See, boy, if we'll employ that, folks, I'm telling you, the world will be a better place, and you will be happier. Let's go back then to verse 24. It's it's just, uh, uh, I'm sorry, to chapter 24, verses 20 to 22, okay? This is a conversation that happens before 25 here. It happens between Saul who is still the king of, of Israel, and David, who has been anointed king. So let's look at that. It says, Now behold, I know that you shall surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. So now, swear to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me, and that you will not destroy my name from my father's household. Verse 22, David swore to Saul, and Saul went to his home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. What I'm telling you is King David is not King David. He's not king yet. See, he's out working in the fields. He's, he's got a living going on. That's why he's out there protecting. He's doing some sort of security, Jack. That's what he's doing out there. He's providing security. He's expecting some reciprocity, whatever that word was. He's wanting some kind of, you're going to take care of me, remuneration, because I was doing my thing for you. You've got a big harvest, and I'm just looking for you to take care of these small needs, humbly asking. So that sets up that he's not king yet, so when he calls himself son at the end of verse 8, that's exactly what he's doing. He knows he's going to be king. He's already been anointed for it. So he doesn't come from that high place and demanding it. Do you know what we do sometimes because we think we have rights? Husbands and wives demand things from one another. Parents demand things from their kids. We demand things from our parents. That's, the, that's wrong. That's bad spirit. Can you just agree that's bad? That's evil. Guess why? Because it usurps authority. It usurps what God has intended for for us to have honor and to live in valor with one another. That's why that's so bad and evil. All right, you're still wondering, what's this got to do with Mother's Day? It's coming. Got to set it up. So here's the deal. In verse 9, when David's young men came, well, I'm sorry, let's jump down verse 11. 
Remember, he says, who is David and who's the son of Jesse? He already made a contract with him. He did the old handshake kind of thing. And now he's saying he doesn't even know me. Where did son of Jesse come from? I never heard that in the introduction. How does Nabal know about the son of Jesse? That was part of his lineage. See, by that, he betrays the fact that, yes, you do know who David is. He's the son of Jesse. He didn't send the message and said, David, son of Jesse. It doesn't imply that. It doesn't say it very, you know, right there, black and white. So, but in his knowing, he says, and who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants today who are each breaking away from his masters. So he almost says of him then that he's some coward. He's run away from serving. He's implying that him and his serv- these men that he's got, that they could have escaped from, from their, their rightful duty as a slave. Wow, what a great insult that is to the will-be king. Verse 11, shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I have slaughtered for my shears and give it to the men whose origin I do not know? So David's young men retraced their way and went back and they came and told him according to all these words. David said to his men, each of you gird on his sword. So each man girded on his sword and David also girded on his sword. And about 400 men went up behind David, while 200 stayed with the baggage. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Behold, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he scorned them. Do you understand, women, before it ever gets to you, there's a whole lot that's been going on sometimes. Men have been in calamity, and men have been out there doing stupid stuff and being ignorant and being fools. Did you know, by the, name, by the way, that the name Nabal means fool? I would change my name if I found out my name was fool or stupid or ugly or something like that. You know what I mean? But there he is, Nabal. His name is fool. So that plays on here. So women, I just want to tell you, you who are steadfast, that's a nurturing quality of yours, is even though the kids continue to poop their diapers, you just keep on changing their diapers. Do you see what I'm saying? Though, though the, the men continue to poop their world, you just continue to clean them up and send them back out there. You see what I'm saying? There's a role that the women have to do that is a nurturing role, and it applies if you're married or not. If you've got a husband or not, it doesn't matter if you've got children or not. You are meant to nurture somebody somewhere. It could be your own mother or family, or it can be that you're meant to serve in some capacity where somebody needs nurtured. Can we all agree that somebody needs nurturing at some time of their life. Amen? So, the intrinsic value of a woman, that's what I'm giving you. Women, you should say, I knew that. All right, so they're girding on their sword now, verse 14. But one of the young men came and said, he scorned them, verse 15. Yet the men were very good to us, and we were not insulted, nor did we miss anything as, as long as we went about with them. While we were in the fields, they were a wall to us, both by day and by night, and all the time we were with them tending the sheep. Now, therefore, know and consider what you should do, for evil is plotted against our master and against all his household, and he is such a worthless man that no one can speak to him. His own servants, they know. What a testimony that is. What are your employees going to say about you? Oh. He's a worthless guy. Nobody can say nothing to him. Wow, serious, huh? So here's the thing is, is what happens is, is that Abigail is brought into this scene that he's made uh, this terrible wreck. They were safe and secure all the time they're out in the field is what they're declaring. Now, if Nabal would have been wise, he would have just considered, which is what the servant said, go ahead and ask your, ask your men, ask your shears if it's not true. We watched over them. We were tending to them. If he would have done that, taken that extra step. See, sometimes, folks, when an allegation is made, when there's an accusation in the air, we ought to just maybe gather the evidence and know the facts before we try to present a case. It's called innocence before proven guilty. It's a good judicial kind of system. Our country ought to do that. So in verse 17, it picks up and. In verse 18, I'm sorry, it says that the servants are just saying, will you consider then what you ought to do? Why? Because you're the nurturer. In verse 18, then Abigail hurried and took 200 loaves of bread 
and two jugs of wine and five sheep already prepared and five measures of toasted grain and a hundred clusters of raisins and two hundred cakes of figs and loaded them on donkeys. Hello. (laughs) You know what most of us would do? Come on, women. You know what you would do with this case if you're Abigail, don't you? I'm going to be single. I'm going to be single. But not Abigail, because God's Spirit is in her. So what is that? That's called an offering. See? What an offering, too. It's no small offering. It's not like, let's throw some raisins, do a few, you know. Matter of fact, Joel, will you get your old book bag out of there, the green one? It's in that office. Um, Yeah, that big whatever that is, green thing. So... Says she did all that. Remember that, 200 cakes of figs and loaded them on a donkey and five sheep that were already prepared. That's a whole lot of stuff, isn't it? So she said to her young men, verse 19, go on before me. Behold, I am coming after you. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal. Hmm. Women, do this. There's sometimes that everything that you know and everything that you're going to do, which is so righteous, you ought not to tell husbands. Do you know why? Because we'd fare better if we don't know how amazingly smart you are before we are. Do you get it? Just be smart and be pretty. See? And be in the place where God wants you to be instead of declaring it. And lording it over the one who's supposed to be the Lord. Mm. See? We're talking New and Old Testament being tied together pretty tight right here, aren't they? So here we go. That is called stealth. Stealth and wisdom. That means, uh, you know, Tina, one of my favorite movies is Big Fat Greek Wedding, right? Remember that? And remember that this woman, the Greek woman, kind of rules over the man, but the man thinks he's in charge, see? And so when it comes down to their daughter being able to pursue certain things and open up her own travel business, as I remember the movie, you know, then it says that, that they're trying to, because Papa would never let us do this. And so then she says, well, the aunt says, well, this is what we need to do. And the mama, and they got together and told her, she presents it to Papa, this idea, plants the seed, and Papa says, well... I think this is what you should do. And they all look at each other knowing that this was all some conniving that happened. But she ended up being able to do this thing. And the man felt like it was his idea. See? That's the short end of that story. But that, that's kind of what happened. And you know what? They were all the wiser. And it all worked out and there was peace. And he still felt like he was it. He was the king. Women, that's a good thing sometimes. Because God has a way of humbling when we get out of line, doesn't he, guys? He knows how to make us, oh, ooh, ah. I did this week, as a matter of fact. Arlene will tell you about it. (laughs) If you ask her, just ask her. Say, please tell us what a fool Joel was. Okay, here we go, verse 20. Say, hurry up. It came about as she was riding on her donkey... And coming down by the hidden part of the mountain, that behold, David and his men were coming down toward her. So she met them. Now David had said, this is so key, folks. David had said, surely in vain I have guarded all that this man has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him, and he has returned me evil for good. May God do, to, do so to the, to the enemies of David, and more also, if by morning I leave as much as one male of any who belong to him. See, he's, he's insulted, and he's angry as all get out, and he sets out he's going to destroy Nabal and his wealth and all of his possessions. He's going to take some sort of revenge, see? That's the way men are. We're competitive. We got this thing about power and dominance, and we've got this thing about victory, and that's a good, solid thing most of the time. That's what makes us good. 
That's what makes us good when we're behind you, women. So, verse 23, when Abigail saw David, she hurried and dismounted from her donkey and fell on her face before David and bowed herself to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my Lord, be the blame. And please let your maidservants speak to you and listen, maidservant, speak to you and listen to the words of your maidservant. Please do not let my Lord pay attention to this worthless man, Nabal, for as his name is, so is he, fool. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you've sent. Now, therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has restrained you from shedding blood and from avenging yourself by your own hand, now then, let your enemies and those who seek evil against my Lord be as Nabal. Now, let this gift which your maidservant has brought to you my Lord, be given to the young men who accompany my Lord. Please forgive the transgression of your maidservant, for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil shall not be found in you all of your days. Should anyone rise up to pursue you and seek your life, then the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will sling out as from the hollow of a sling. Now, let me tell you, that's called, if you will, back in verse 26, therefore, as my Lord lives and is a soul, not the shedding of blood from avenging yourself by your own hand. Do you remember the reason David couldn't build the temple of the Lord? Remember what it was? Because his hands were a bloodshed, because he was a warrior king. And so God says, no, no, David, I appreciate you want to build me a house, but your hands are stained with blood. It's going to be your son, your son, Solomon. He'll be the one who's going to build my house. So here it is that that comes on the heels of that kind of history that he's got blood. And so what it actually does right here, important point for us women, is that he says that he, she's actually causing him to consecrate himself. To hold himself blameless, not to go ahead and carry out what he has. He's skilled at doing, and he brought all these 400 men with him, right? Very clearly, he's going to have his way, but he says instead, she pleads with him to consecrate himself to this. And then she declares what I call a legendary blessing over David. By the way, remember what a hobo, what a hobo was? How many of you... Remember what a hobo is. How many of you don't know what a hobo was? Young people, do you know what a hobo was? A hobo? And I'm not talking about the spider. Hobo goes way back. You'd have to go probably into the Great Depression to really see a hobo. But the hobo would be somebody that if I was to take off my shirt and, and I put all my possessions into a jacket or a shirt and then I tie it to a stick and then I put that stick behind me and then that would represent everything in my bundle... That would rec that represents everything that I own. That's my life right there. Some of you need semis. But, but for him, what he's really saying is, is that according to that kind of tradition, when Jesus, remember he says, don't even take two coats with you when you go down? Man used to be very mobile, see? Because you traveled in caravans and you might likely be walking. So we didn't have semis and ways of transporting all of our, our, our earthly treasures. So in this case, it represented, she proclaims a blessing that your whole life will be bundled up with amongst the living. And that's what she was talking about. Everything that you have is going to be, will be blessed because of that. So it says that, um, that's a legendary bun in verse 29. Should anyone rise up to pursue you and seek your life, then the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will sling out as from the hollow of a sling. Do you know what she's, she's alluding to right there? David and Goliath. Talking about the sling. Do you know what she's saying? She's saying he's Superman. 
She's honoring him and esteeming him. And she uses language there that makes him remember when he was just a kid and he slay the giant. See, women, do you know what you could do? Continue to do is find a way to bless your man, to bless the, the people, to tell them how wonderful they are, even if you know otherwise. That's one of the qualities of Abigail here. She's making a declaration to David now in honoring him and, and, and causing, yeah, I remember Goliath. <laughs> Just one stone, man. That was awesome. It was pretty, yeah. The only thing better than that was when I just lopped his head off. Well, anyway, where were we? And it shall come about, verse 30, when the Lord shall do for my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and shall appoint you ruler over Israel. (gasps) Who told her? How'd that get out? Because we still have a, a sitting king. Was God speaking to Abigail? Seems kind of like uh, she has a prophetic word here, a word of knowledge. She's, God's been, why? Because she has the kind of heart that he can trust with that kind of information. That's one of the qualities, women, that you have. The reason God shows you certain things isn't for you to do anything about them sometimes. It's for you to behold that and to treasure them in your heart, just like Mary did with Jesus. You hold that and treasure that and know that God will bring that about at some point. He's showing you for a reason. One of them is because he trusts you. Wow. You ought to just say thank you, God. Do you know why? Because he speaks to you. Does he speak to you? Why don't you just do that right now, ladies? Tell him thank you, God. You know why? What a privilege it is for him to, to entrust me with so much as a nurturer. So here we go. Ready? She has this insight about who he is and appoints you ruler over Israel. And then says in verse 31, that this will not cause grief or a troubled heart to my Lord, both by having shed blood without cause and by my Lord having avenged himself. When the Lord shall deal well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. Then David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. And, be, and blessed be your discernment, another quality of, the, of the, the woman of God. And blessed be you who have kept me this day from bloodshed and from avenging myself by my own hand. Sometimes the way to overpower a man is through a stomach. 200 fig cakes, all those loaves of bread, five sheep. I'm telling you, that's a lesson that didn't come from some sort of modern-day chefs. That came from Abigail in this narrative right here. Way to a man's heart is through his belly. Still is, isn't it, guys? (laughs) See, what happened is he recognized in that moment that she was keeping him from avenging. Because you remember the word of the Lord to David when it came down to taking matters into his own hand? Do you remember what there was a word at one point where God says enough of this bloodshed? Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. David, stop it. You've been a wonderful warrior king, but now you need to be a leader, a leader of integrity. You need to be able to be submitted to what I want for your life. You need to show this honor. You need to show civility. You need to do these other principles. Have them in your life. It's a well-rounded Christian who becomes these types of things. So he recognizes that in the end, this person who spoke something difficult to him, who's holding back his anger, was actually for his good. And that's ultimately what women, if you'll be yielded to the Lord, that's what you'll bring. You'll bring good fruit out of your lives because that's what God wants to do with you because you have the ability to nurture that men can't muster on our own normally. Doesn't mean we can't. It just means we're not usually going to go that way. Lop off their head, then we can grieve. So it says, verse 35 The wrap-up's coming. So David received from her hand what she had brought him and said to her, Go up to your house in peace. See, I have listened to you and granted your requests. Women, when you do these kinds of things in this way, you will reap favor. 
That's what it is. Then Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he was holding a feast in his house like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. So she did not tell him anything at all until the morning light. Remember what we called that earlier? Wisdom. How many of you have... No, don't need to do that. I can remember laying in the bed, and you know what? I can remember um, wetting my bed because mom and dad were yelling in the kitchen, and I heard stuff flying, and it was just bad. And daddy was drunk. And if I could lovingly tell my mama, one of the things that she should have done is just go to the other end of the house, leave daddy alone. And if we went and used the Bible in our lives, we would have had the reason for it because there's wisdom in a silent tongue. It came about in the morning when the wine had gone out of Nabal that his wife told him these things and his heart died within him so that he became as a stone. His heart died within him. He didn't know how close to death he was. And what I wrote down the note is, there was no more arrogant comfort. Nabal was made low. He was humbled. In his folly, it finally caught up with him. And then it continues on. The last part there says, in verse 38, about 10 days later, it happened that the Lord struck Nabal and he died. So for 10 days, he was in that state. Some say it probably emulated a stroke was something that happened to him, this great fear, literally, that came upon him. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who has pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal and has kept back his servant from evil. The Lord has also returned the evil doing of Nabal on his own head. Then David sent a proposal to Abigail to take her as his wife. So, That's what she did, and then ultimately verse 41 shows the last of the qualities here. It says, She arose and bowed with her face to the ground and said, Behold, your maidservant is a maid to wash the feet of my Lord's servants. She quickly arose, rode on a donkey with her five maidens who attended her and followed the messengers of David. And ultimately, there they lived happily ever after. Some of those qualities of the Woman of faith is found in 1 Peter, in 1 Corinthians 7, and then in Samuel with Abigail. Those are the things that, that God's after in your own life. So I ask the questions on your, on your uh, bulletin. It's just simply this. Men and women can answer this question. But what is your contribution to family slash life? Teens, you could, you could answer that question. What's your contribution to family, to life. And then the second one is this. Have you ever had to cover for someone because they're an idiot, because they're a moron, because they're stupid, because they're a fool? Well, how well did you do with that? Did you, did you cover and then you went out and exposed them to all kinds of other people? Then you didn't really do right. Ouch. We might do well in the moment, but then it's important for us to keep that, see, not to let it leak out. Otherwise, We didn't really get the blessing. So have you ever had to cover for someone? That's what she was doing. She says, blame me. She took the blame. Do you understand that's just like Jesus? That's the quality of a woman is a nurture is that many times you'll cover. I'm sure Arlene covered for the kids sometimes to keep me from beating them or something. So she just said, no, I know your papa. I I know him. I'm just going to keep this from him. Why? Because... He just doesn't need to handle this right now. He doesn't need to deal with this. But what she might be really saying is, I don't know how good he'd do with this. So guess what? She saved me from who knows what because of her quality to nurture. Women, I don't want you to, don't underestimate the power of God in you and what he's, he's birthed you for and why he's placed you in the predicament or in the situation or the, in the consequences that he's placed you. You're, in, you're in, of unestimable value and worth. And if you'll write it out, God will bring it to fruition. And the last part says, how have you seen God use you for peace? Because truly blessed are the peacemakers. If you'll be one who is a woman of peace, 
continue to be as a woman of peace, God will bring forth fruit hundredfold, thousandfold in your lives. Amen? But here's how I want to end the day. Um, let's have, uh, could I have a couple guys, maybe Scott and Jack, could you lift this, uh, this, this drape off for me here? We did this last night. Women, some of you will hate me for it. Just get over it, okay? We created a little snack buffet for you women. Yeah, just there you go. Slowly from there you go. All right. And Gina decorated it this morning because she insisted on having pink and purple flowers up there. So how about, uh, yeah, we'll need you to do this. There's pretzels in the top basket. We'll need those opened. Go ahead, Joel, if you'll oversee that. And uh, ladies, there are little gift bags. Arlene, would you come over to the table for me? Arlene's got one. You got one in your hand? No, you got camera in your hand. Baby, I love you. She covered me the other day with the prescriptions, but she's done that thousands of hundreds of millions of times in my life where she nurtures me, and I, I am proud to say that she's a mama to me. She, she's more than my wife, more than my bride, more than my girlfriend. She's, uh, she's also my mama. She takes care of me, so I love you. So what we've got, ladies, we're asking the ladies to go first. Um, for you to go back, there's a little uh, plastic bag. Arlene's holding up. There's one on each table. The two tables are the same, identical. You just uh, you can go to one or the other. You got a gift bag. There are chocolate-covered raisins. There are uh, Swedish goldfish or whatever those are called, um, the red things. There's uh, peanut M&Ms. There's Reese's, M- uh, Reese's uh, M&Ms pieces. There's um, what else we got back there? Ike and Mike's little uh, chewy things. We've got... Um, pretzels with peanut butter in them. We've got uh, animal crackers. We've got uh, little uh, goldfish um, back there. And what else? Anything else, honey? Mike and Ike's, I got that. So our ideal is if you don't want chocolate, how many of you women don't want chocolate? Um, you can go ahead and have pretzels. You can have animal crackers. Um, what else? Yeah, peanut butter filled pretzels. And then there's little candy bars. There's uh, Kit Kats and Reese's and Caramellos and things like that. So we want you to just take a little snack bag and be able to have a, a, a happy day, a happy woman's day. So this is for all women. Guys, keep your stinking hands out. Okay, go ahead. Ladies, go back and let me pray for us before we go. Hallelujah, Jesus. Father, thank you for the power of your word. Lord, um, no matter, irregardless of, of the... Uh, the spokesperson, you said that you'll take those words and you'll, you'll help them to make sense and bear fruit in our lives. That's what we prayed to begin with. Show us the wow of your word, of your ways, of your heart. So, God, that's what we pray, is that you'll continue to let us draw examples from these, uh, the study of your scripture, both Old and New Testament, that reveals, God, uh, how you have put, what you have put into women, how you have uh, created them for nurture, and, God, how you bless Uh, bless our world, bless our lives because of them. And I proclaim and agree that you are the God who has done wonders. And Lord, that you have blessed us. We thank you for the idea that you saw Adam all alone. (laughs) You saw the futility of of him and said uh, he needs a woman. And thank you for bringing women. And Father, I pray for a lifting, that you are the glory and the lifter of their heads, that you will bless their socks off, I pray for restoration from of families, brothers or sisters, moms and dads. I pray, God, for uh, that you would re- restore anything that is broken, that this will be a day of renewing of the hearts, renewing of the mind, and renewing of the spirit for your servants, uh, these ladies. And, God, I bless them, and I agree that, God, you are for them, and because you're for them, there ain't nobody can mess with them. And we thank you for the greatness of women in Jesus' name. Yeah, Debbie, by the way, thank you for that. Yeah, come on up.